Chapter Seven of the Queen of Appalachia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by R. W. Raptor, The Queen of Appalachia, by Joe H. Borders. Chapter Seven. Chapter Seven. In the Toils of Bad Ants The cabin for which Paul was headed with his fair charge was some two hundred yards distance, and was easily reached. Not a word was spoken by either of them, so intently were their thoughts, each trying to solve a very deep and apparently unaccountable mystery. Arriving at the small log house, Paul knocked on the closed door two or three times, and finally pushed it ajar to find the room empty, excepting a few articles of furniture, most of which were crude, homemade affairs. The floor consisted of rough, loose boards, an old-fashioned bedstead stood in one corner, a table and two stools occupied the middle of the room and a miscellaneous lot of cooking utensils were scattered on the hearthstone in front of the big open fireplace. A huge black log was smouldering and only needed an armful of dry wood to produce a good warm fire. When the young lady was comfortably seated on one of the substantially built stools, Paul replenished the fire and coaxed the embers into a blaze. There is abundant evidence of recent habitation here, said he, and we will make use of the comforts within reach. The owners can only order us out when they find us here, but in the meantime we will wring our clothes and let this borrowed heat consume the surplus water, glancing at the girl. Then you too are a stranger here? she exclaimed in astonishment. Yes, indeed, replied Paul. Only reached here today, and this is the first house I've seen the past three days. From your appearance and costume, I do not have to ask you whether you are a mountaineer, but I'm anxious to know how you came to be here. A natural question, and one I would be glad to answer intelligently, she replied thoughtfully, but I must ask your indulgence for the time being. Rising and unloosening the elegant long robe that encircled her body. "'Let me help you,' suggested Paul, going to her assistance. "'Thank you, sir. I'm fortunate in finding such an agreeable helpmate. You are a gentleman, and my good knight errant.' After she had removed her cloak, she presented a beautiful picture. "'Surely!' thought Paul entranced. This is not a type of the new woman. His eyes rested on the wealth of jewels she wore. No, was his comment. She is some titled foreigner, but why is she here? It is impossible to realise the presence of such a radiant, richly adorned beauty in this wild, out-of-the-way place. I must ferret this mystery out. My enthusiasm for hunting has lost its charm, for the present, at least. While Paul was busy with the strange and perplexing thoughts, the vision of loveliness had been industriously making herself presentable, by arranging her hair that hung loosely over her perfect shoulders. 
but for the golden hair and the feminine face she would easily have passed for a handsome young officer dressed for a royal reception her manner was the pink of perfection her smiles were divinely sweet and captivating and her face a dream that she was of a proud and noble race was evident never in his experience had paul seen such loveliness nor such an elaborate costume now my friend seating herself near paul kindly tell me the meaning of our soiled garments and how you found me looking straight into his big brown eyes with pleasure and he narrated the recent incidents she was speechless with surprise and said then to you i'm indebted for my life how can i ever repay you for imperiling your life for a woman without name or home don't mention it please i'm only too happy to have been of service to you i did nothing unusual and took no risk in plunging into the water i would have done the same for anyone else I am congratulating myself that I happened to be there when help was needed. Only think what would have been your fate if help had not been near. I shudder to think of it. It was most providential, she replied with a sigh. Do you reside near here? she inquired suddenly. My house is quite a little distance from here, he replied. Several hundred miles, in fact and he gave her a description of the route from the time he left the steamer until he reached the river on that eventful day taking care to picture the scenery en route delightful she exclaimed clapping her soft little hands when do you think of returning howdy the above gruff salutation fell upon their ears at this point in their interesting conversation and the door was darkened by the appearance of a man that at once reminded Paul of Rip Van Winkle. He was a hardy mountaineer, rather coarse-looking, with long, unkempt beard. An old slouched hat covered his head. "'I beg your pardon, sir, for this unseemly, unwarranted intrusion. In passing here an hour ago I sought entrance, finding no one at home, and being drenched to the skin through crossing the river. The fire looked so inviting that I did not hesitate to enter.' I presume these are your premises. They be, coolly replied the host, advancing cautiously. When he discovered the young lady, his hat was instantly removed, and with an awkward courtesy he mumbled an apology. You answer welcome, mister. When did you reach these ear parts? Just got here, replied Paul. And, continued he, by way of apology, we got lost from a party of friends this morning and luckily found your house yes you ends was lucky mister case your partners was running by bad ants over the mountain ants hatfield exclaimed paul are they in danger i reckon ants'll do em no harm mister being's they're no officers but you ought to have heard em beg they give right in, they did, and did I had been after aunts, and I reckon they weren't. Where are they now? asked Paul. Nigh on to ten miles, I reckon, was the reply. How long do you suppose it will keep them in custody? 
Not for long, mister. He'll bring him over here by morning, and ship him down the river. Bad Ants is not a bad man, continued their host. But he don't take to strangers. He don't, being as he's wanted at the courthouse down yonder. What might your name be, stranger? My name is Thornton, Paul Thornton, from Princeton. Thornton, Thornton, repeated the host. What a pretty name, murmured the young lady, greatly interested in the conversation. I used to know a Thornton. I think his name was Dave. That is my father, interrupted Paul. Do tell, are you Dave's boy? Well, I'm powerful glad to see you, Thornton. Ain't see Dave for it coon's age. Me and him used to go possum hunting. And then were great days, Thornton, great times. And that is your wife, I reckon, Thornton. She is my sister, replied Paul. Then she is Dave's gal. Well, I'll be gal darned. Wait till I go get a light. And he got a move on himself, returning presently with a pine torch. I want you uns to make yourself to home. Ain't got no fine commandations, but you're welcome to all I've got. Tell Dave that Bill Dempsey is coming down to pay him a visit some of these days. I will give him your message, Uncle Bill, assured Paul, becoming neighbourly. And I know he'll be pleased to hear from you, especially as you have been so kind and hospitable to us. Uncle Bill was busying himself in preparing a supper, which was coarse but most acceptable to his guests, who had eaten nothing since early morning. He made no apologies and did everything in his power to make his visitors comfortable. When the supper things were cleared, he built up a good fire, and the evening was spent in conversation. Who is this bad ants referred to? asked the young lady of Paul when they were left alone during the evening. Bad ants, said Paul, is known far and wide as the mountain desperado. Several years ago, a family feud between the Hatfields and McCoys, neighbouring families. It was but a trifling matter that was the foundation of the now famous feud. But the warfare grew and became desperate from year to year. Many being killed, but bad ants, as he's familiarly called. Although the ringleader of the Hatfield gang has so far escaped death as well as sheriff and constables. It is a long story, sweetheart, and while he is considered a desperado and a bandit by the world at large, and is no doubt a savage-looking person, owing to his self-imprisonment in these mountains, in hiding from office of the law, I dare say he has a tender heart and a sympathetic nature, could one reach the real man. I do not have any fears for my friends, but I fancy they were frightened. Will they come this way? she asked. I gather from Uncle Bill's remarks they will be marched down here with a request to quit this country. Will that include you? I hardly think so, owing to the friendly relations established between our host and us, but I've made up my mind to leave here tomorrow anyway, provided you desire me to escort you to civilization. Do not let me disarrange your plans, I pray you, Mr. Thornton. 
I begin to feel that I am imposing upon you, and if possible I prefer to assist you rather than interfere with your plans. If my program is changed to serve you, sweetheart, I want to assure you it will be a pleasure. To please you, I am going to please myself. You are awfully kind, Mr. Thornton. I very much desire to enter into your plans, and if they include a month of climbing these splendid mountains, I will freely acquiesce. I fully trust you. Well said, sweetheart. I will do nothing without your consent. But here comes our host. Uncle Bill, where can I procure a light craft that will carry us safely down the river? Let me see, he answered. Sylvester Johnson has a canoe that would just suit you, I reckon. And it's only a short walk down to his place. The very thing, sweetheart. Tomorrow we will take our leave. End of chapter 7 Recording by R. W. Raptor